Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Monday, April 27th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The Chiefs' final pick of the 2020 draft is in, and so were the grades. Nationally, the Chiefs' draft wasn't seen as anything special, B's and C's, I guess, for a, for a collective grade. But locally, they made the honor roll. Chiefs beat writer Herbie Teope is here to explain his grades for all six picks, five of which received an A or an A-. After a break, we will patch into the Brett Beach post-draft press conference and hear what the Chiefs general manager had to say about the weekend. But first, here's Herbie. Herbie Teope is with us, uh, fresh off the NFL draft, long weekend for everybody. But uh, it, they always are. But uh, first of all, I, I thought it was great that we had the draft. You know, the, the NFL went ahead with it, didn't postpone it, didn't suspend it. They went ahead with it. And I thought, I thought from a, just from a, TV production standpoint, it, it turned out pretty well. Yeah, that, you know, kudos to the NFL, kudos to the chief PR folks, kudos to everyone involved in this because we live in unprecedented times, and this draft seemed about as normal as could be. It, 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 granted, we were all working out of our homes, weren't in the media room, but it just seemed normal, and I think the country needed that. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, without further ado, let's get right into the draft, uh, a little bit of a recap, uh, recap, and your grade. You spent uh, we spent Thursday through Saturday on the draft, and you spent Sunday kind of grading it out. And you gave them, you gave the Chiefs pretty high marks all across the board. And um, let's let's just start by asking you what what goes into your your grading um, uh, assessment, and how does it differ than say a, a national pundit? Well, I think like for the national folks, people need to remember that there's a huge difference between what they do and what we, my colleagues at the Kansas City Star, which includes you, obviously, Sam McDowell, Sam Millinger, and Bahe, we are around this team all the time. So how we view the team with our finger on the pulse is going to be completely different from those outside. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we remember in the days leading up to the draft, there was a lot of grumblings out there. The Chiefs are going to trade for Leonard Fournette, and I'm like, nah, that that's that's not happening. You know, it's just because it, that that just didn't fit. And I think that's the biggest difference you see here. For me, when I grade a draft, and I want listeners and our reader base to understand something here, most NFL general managers will take three to four years to evaluate their draft class before they assign their own grades. For me, I'm grading a draft based on the players they got. And the Chiefs didn't have that many holes. Let's get that out of the way. They're returning 20 of 22 starters from last year's Super Bowl winning team. But in my opinion, they came out of this draft with three players who could start immediately. And that's just unheard of for a team that won the Super Bowl and is picking late in the draft. I thought the Chiefs hit a home run. I thought they really did. So you you see three guys, and, and and I'm assuming that you are you are talking about the first three selections of the Chiefs. You're thinking that at some point in year one, these guys can move into the starting lineup and be contributors um, for for the Chiefs. Absolutely, and, and you know, it, we're, we're Clyde edwards Hilaire, their first round draft pick, the second round draft pick, Willie Gay, immediate type starters, Lewis, excuse me, not Lewis. <laughs> said Lewis, Lucas, Niang. Lucas. Yep, and he's another guy who's very intriguing. They got extremely good value on this guy in the third round, and he's someone 
who can start in the interior as well as outside. And, and I just thought they nailed it. They, they really nailed it through the first two days. Well, you gave uh, you, you graded each pick, and you gave A's to uh, to Edwards Alaire and to uh, Willie Gay Jr. and an A minus to Lucas Niang. So it doesn't get much better than that. So I, I guess that's what you're refer- referring to when, if you see potential starters from a draft pick, then I I don't I don't see how you couldn't give that, that pick an A, especially if they're coming in to start on a team that's just won the Super Bowl. That means that. These guys are identified as, um, you know, uh, I think the Chiefs, correct me if I'm wrong, and, and I, I absolutely could be, but they, you know, they, they took some dings nationally because they didn't take a corner in the, with their first pick, and that was sort of identified as a need. But they took a running back who is a weapon for, uh, you know, for the, for the offense, and they took a linebacker with the second pick, and Willie Gay, who, um, you know, if there, if there was sort of a, an obvious need for this defense. It was covering backs out of the backfield, and that's sort of what Willie Gay is all about. And the fact that they drafted a tackle in the third round, and then Brett Beach turns around and tells us he's going to start at guard, which is where we think that the the need is. It's on the interior of the offensive line, not not outside at tackle. Um, it, I think I think that's an example of what you're saying that the you know people who cover the team on a daily basis just know it better than than those who had identified needs and then graded the Chiefs based on not drafting those needs. Yeah, absolutely. And they filled it. They filled the cornerback position, and we'll get to that in a second here. But it's, I, I, the running back position, Edward Delick, Andy Reid's offense loves dynamic backs with a versatile skill set. And with Edward Delick, just completely ignore he's five foot seven. He's packed powerfully, 207 pounds. LSU, versatile kind of guy, Joe Burrows. I remember reading a quote that, you know, all the, all the attention was on him, but without Edward Jolaire, does he, does he rack up those, those yardage in the passing game? Because Edward Jolaire certainly helped out there. You take, think about this. Travis Kelce, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Nicole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson. Of course, you got Patrick Mahomes back there. Now you throw out a guy who's a matchup nightmare for defenses in Edward Jolaire. This is a pick-your-poison type deal for defenses. Who are you going to lock on? They, they just simply can't. And the thing that jumped out to me the most about that pick is when the Chiefs took the Twitter and they, they posted a tweet of the video of Edward Jolaire getting the phone call from the Chiefs saying, hey, you're our pick. Andy Reid tells them, hey, I asked Mahomes, I asked Patrick, who does he want? Brett Beach says the same thing. I asked Patrick Mahomes, who does he want? Mahomes replied back, Clyde. Hey, if Mahomes wants them, who are we to judge this pick? <laughs> <laughs> right. The other thing that stood out to me was the, um, you know, just in reading the profile, he's great with, uh, you know, obviously great out of the backfield, 55 receptions last year. That's an absolute must. In fact, they split him out wide at times at LSU. And he is a, and he doesn't drop. I think in, in his career, 68, maybe last season, 68 targets, uh, three drops. And ball security is a strength, which is not the case with with uh, DeAndre Swift and uh, and Jonathan Taylor. I could see where just you know a, you know a little bit of fumbleitis would would be enough to scare Andy Andy Reid away. So okay, well let's let's switch quickly to Willie Gay and um and, and what's what's his great strength? What do you think he brings? Well, 
4.46 speed. <laughs> yeah. Look, when you got Damian Williams and Anthony Hitchens as your starting linebackers, they're great linebackers. Don't don't get me wrong there, but they had a clear need for a linebacker who could go sideline to sideline with great speed, great instinct, great playmaking ability, a hard hitter, and Willie Gay fit that need. You know, I was obviously, as most people know, I was I was pounding the table get Zach Bond, but you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ding this pick here because. Gay is a pretty darn good player himself. Yes, he comes with red flags from college. You know, we, we wrote about that on draft night. Andy Reid addressed it. Brett Veach addressed it. And Gay addressed it as well. You know, we're talking about academic issues. Um, he got in a fight with his quarterback. But the Chiefs did their due diligence on this guy, and they felt pretty comfortable taking him. And I, I think, you know, who are we now? Brett Veach has built a Super Bowl roster. You know, I, I think he, he deserves a pass at least this maybe one or two years. Then we can start like going back. What are you doing here? But I love the pick. Six foot two, a solid two hundred and forty pounds. And and again, that speed, four point six four point four six speed and Steve Spagnolo's speed where he gets the most out of those linebackers. I, I think this is a home run pick and yes, I gave him an eight. Yeah, and I think also the uh, I, I think the Chiefs locker room can help bring around any player who maybe needs to be brought around, right? Uh, the Frank Clarks, the Tyran Matthews, uh, there there is great great leadership in, in that in that locker room. So uh, third round pick uh, Lucas Niang, the, the the tackle from TCU. I think the, the 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 story that stood out was the game that he had against Ohio State, not this past season, but in 2018, where he had to block both Nick Bosa and Chase Young, and uh, and it was Chase Young who said after the after the game, or no, he said I think he must have said at the combine when he was asked if any offensive tackle had stood out to him in his career, he he didn't identify Lucas Niang by name, but said yeah that TCU tackle that was blocking me that night, he remembered him, and I. Uh, the, the Chiefs use that, but you, we think he is. Uh, he's not going to be a, you know, maybe you know a, a reserve tackle, but you see him as his, his path is is as a guard. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, and then Brett Beach also said the same thing um, after that pick where he said he he could see him starting off at the guard position, but the Chiefs had their a, a clear eye to the future here at the tackle position. Mitchell Schwartz turns thirty one in June. Eric Fisher turns thirty after the 2020 regular season. So you, you had to eventually address the tackle position. This guy gives you that swing flexibility, that all-important swing flexibility, because he can play both sides of the line of scrimmage, excuse me, on the, on the offensive line. This is a kid, here's a stat that Patrick Mahomes will love, especially knowing the elite defensive ends that come off of the left side of the defensive line which would be the right side of the Chiefs' offensive line. Niang closed out his collegiate career at right tackle and didn't allow a sack in two straight seasons. That's a phenomenal stat. And then you mentioned 2018. So, of course, that would include that Ohio State game where he went against Chayton and Bosa. This is a a tremendous value pick for the 96th player overall in the third round. It was a home run. I would have loved for them to get Robert Hunt out of Louisiana Tech. Uh, excuse me, Louisiana Lafayette, but he went a lot earlier. But, they, you know, this is a great plan B. Okay, two of their next three picks, or two of their final three picks, they did go secondary with uh, uh, 
the uh, Sneed, Ladarius Sneed, the safety from La Tech, and then that was in the fourth round, and then they traded with Tennessee to have a final pick in the seventh round, and they picked up uh, Bo Pete uh, Keys from from Tulane. Just touch on those two guys, and and um, and it, it was it wasn't those were need picks. What but what stands out about those two? It stands out most about this point here is Brett Beach, and I'm gonna go back to the week before the draft where he kept you know remember there were three positions that he identified as, as being deep this year. And cornerback, he was the cornerback, wide receiver, and offensive line. This shows you just how deep the draft was. There was a need for cornerback, and I even distinctly thinking in the second round, Jalen Johnson out of Utah or, or even Christian Fulton out of LSU would make perfect sense in that round, or maybe even a trade-up in the second round when there was that run on cornerbacks. But kudos to the Chiefs for being patient here and staying true to their draft board because they got two phenomenal players. Sneed out of Louisiana Tech. 4.37 speed. You know, I think when you look at their defensive players, there's a, there's a key. I mean, there's a theme here. These guys can fly. He's six foot, 192 pounds, exceptional size there. He loves to tackle. You can't, you can't go wrong with that because normally when you think of cornerbacks, you know, these are guys that shy away from, from contact, but you're not going to have that issue here with Sneak. He played safety his final year at Louisiana Tech, but before that, he was a cornerback. And Chiefs area scout Willie Davis said after the pick that he thinks his natural position is corner. Sneed even said, my natural position is corner. But by playing safety, he was able to, to pick up the football smarts of how the action unfolds in front of him. You got a versatile guy here. And then if anything that we've learned just from this last year, what Steve Spagnola loves about defensive backs, he loves those guys he can move around. They can play outside. They can play inside in the slot. They can drop back into the safety like we used uh, Kendall Fuller. So this is a guy I see who can fill all those roles. When you talk so, about, it, sorry, yeah, so we talk about yeah, you know, talk about keys and the advantage of drafting him, trading to get into the seventh round at at number two. I think it was two thirty seven overall instead of waiting until the draft was over and signing him as a uh, as a rookie free agent. Yeah, Keys was a guy that the Chiefs clearly had their eye on. And as the, as the seventh round unfolded, seventh round is typically when personal staff who aren't, like, directly involved with what's going on in, on the draft board, that's when they start making their phone calls to people who, are, who they project to be undrafted free agents. The Chiefs felt like this guy was not going to be available to them uh, in free agency. They also felt like they didn't want to get involved in the bidding war because clearly they weren't the only ones who liked Bo Keys. Six foot one, two hundred two pounds. Another good tackler. Uh, they they see this guy as probably a developmental type player, but someone who could help out immediately on special teams, and they need that too because the Chiefs lost safety Jordan Lucas to free agency. Who he, Lucas signed with the Chicago Bears. He also feels death in the secondary. This, this is just a solid move. And when you look, when you go back and look at this kid. When you watch the highlights, it's hard to ignore. He's all over the field. And this was a pick that the Chiefs absolutely felt like they had to go back into the seventh round. They didn't give up that much. All they gave up was a 2021 six-round pick. And that's phenomenal value to get a guy that they want. Okay, and the only, the only draftee who did not get an A from you, an A or an A minus, was Mike Dana, the edge rusher from, from Michigan, spent his final year at Michigan after spending his first 
uh, four uh, four seasons, three three on the field at Central Michigan. You gave the pick a C. Uh, I've seen some other national uh, pundits who said that was the worst of the Chiefs' pick. Picks. So um, break him down and and why um, you know why did the Chiefs go there for him at uh, in round five? When you talk to the area scout and, and then when you see some of the, the, the stuff that's written about Mike Dan, is it's, he's, he's, he's viewed as a developmental guy. And, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with developmental players in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. It, there's still some depth there, but it's like I, I don't know what the, the clear vision is for him. He's not going to get any playing time over Frank Clark. He, he's not going to unseat Alex Okafor on the other side there. Exactly where does he fit in the scheme? He also doesn't seem to me like a guy that, 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 that is an ideal fit for Steve Spagnuolo, what he likes to do. Now, starting off, can he be a rotational guy? That's probably where he's going to have to develop into because I don't see this guy coming in immediately and starting. He'll have to, he'll have to battle because there's a lot of good players in front of him currently on the Chiefs roster. But, you know, he might be able to have to carve out a niche on special teams initially, and that's perfectly fine. Because as we all know, for young rookies, the perfect place to develop is on special teams because you are able to play fast. This is a kid who, who transferred from Central Michigan and then ended up at Michigan, and now he's with the Chiefs. So we'll have to see how this plays out with him. Okay. Hey, and so uh, the Chiefs signed 18 um, you know, uh, free agents after the draft. Any of those names stand out to you? Anything uh um, uh, I, I, Missouri, Missouri kid on here. Uh, but who, uh, any, any names that people should remember from this group? The guy that I really like out of this group is Daryl Williams out of Mississippi state. Okay. Um, his nickname in college was the general. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the reason why I love that pick is because he can play center and guard and, and Austin Ryder is in the final year of his contract, the current Chiefs starting center. And Daryl Williams will have an opportunity here to really jump in there and, and probably carve out a niche. The other person I like, too, is Southern, Met- Southern Methodist safety Rodney Clemens. When you go back and watch his, his highlights, this guy is a heat-seeking missile. He, he is not afraid to put his nose in there and just knock, knock somebody out there with a, with a bone-crushing hit. He had a horrible combine, and that's what probably hurt his draft stock. But it's, as, as most people like to say, the tape don't lie. And then when you watch tape of SMU, he's all over the field. Okay, and the, the Missouri player I mentioned earlier, uh, tackle uh, Yasser Durant. So um, one, at least one local. There's a Missouri S&T player in here, too, Tershawn Wharton, a uh, uh, defensive tackle. So a couple of, couple of Missouri players. All right, so uh, Kirby, you gave the uh, you gave the overall Chiefs uh, effort in the draft an A minus, and uh, you're, you're right; it's not for three or four years that we that we know the true value of of a class. Most of the classes in the in the Andy Reid era have been obviously above it. You know, pretty good. they've been in the playoffs for you know all but one of the seven years, and now uh, two AFC title games and the Super Bowl championship. I'd say that. Uh, they've done a pretty good job acquiring personnel over the years. So, all right, Herbie, great catching up with you, and we'll talk again soon. All right, thanks so much, Blair. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars' award-winning sports coverage. 
Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. I appreciate uh, you guys for, for joining to um, kind of go back and review uh, the last three days. Certainly, we're, we're excited about how um, uh, this draft unfolded. Uh, huge tip of the cap to my personnel staff. We you know, we stayed aggressive all, all weekend long, even though we didn't do um, uh, trades in the first first two days but you guys knew I had a had a sneak one in there at the end but our guys did a great job really excited about our draft class and I, I really think that our guys uh hit a home run after the draft I mean some of these guys that we were able to land in free agency were, were guys that were considering in the in the fifth round there so a lot of these guys that were on the board for that final pick we ended up uh staying aggressive and, and being able to sign after the draft so um again really excited uh, about the future of the Kansas City Chiefs and and looking forward to personally welcome these guys uh, once they get here. Uh, but again, can't thank my, my personnel staff enough for their hard work. And uh, with that, I'll open up the questions. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Brett. Um, looking at Willie Gay and the two DBs you drafted yesterday, um, and particularly Sneed, um, real fast guys, obviously. Is that because you guys needed to upgrade your speed at those positions or because is that how those positions are played nowadays? Well, it's, um, it's certainly how those positions are played nowadays. I mean, you know, when you have guys that, uh, that, that test extremely well and, and, um, you know, perform at the combines or, or if they had pro days, uh, those guys are certainly going to be, if you didn't like them on tape, they're got, those are the guys that are going to get second and third looks just because of their athletic attributes. But, um, guys like Willie Gay and uh, their performances on tape, you get even more excited. And those are guys that, you know, we certainly want to target guys that certainly run and test well, but they're not just testers. They're football players that test well, not testers that play football. Uh, let's go to Pete Sweeney. Go ahead, Pete. Hey, Brett. Um, congratulations on the draft of everything being over and so on and so forth. Uh, I had a question now moving forward. I think it's the number one question on fans' minds when it comes to Pat and uh, Chris Jones. So mm-hmm. just wondering where you are there and what's your confidence level that – this stuff can be taken care of by the time reconvening happens. We assume that'll be training camp. I don't know if you can hear me buzz out a little there, but Pete, but I think your question was about just moving forward with Pat and Chris. And, and confidence level that this will be taken care of by the time everyone potentially reconvenes for what would be, yeah. we assume, training camp. Yeah, I mean – uh, yeah, I would like to think that that we're we're fairly confident, and you know we have a lot of time. I mean, these um, when you're dealing with with players of this magnitude, these contracts are are certainly on the cornerstones uh, in this organization. We do have, and and now that the draft is over, and um, it, you know, free agency period here with um, with this uh, pandemic and the virtual draft. Certainly, uh, there was a, a lot of additional the draft but now that this is behind us here and we have um you know a window now that um we can kind of reset as an organization get together uh, we have a lot of time and and you know this will be the focus of, on, on where we are to make sure we get these guys um 
you know, locked up and, and head into training camp whenever that is, uh, ready to rock and roll. So, again, it, you can never put um, uh, a definitive answer on anything, but we're certainly hopeful and we're confident and we're going to put a lot of work um, from now until the start of camp. Okay, Herbie, let's go to Herbie. Go ahead. Hey, Brad, uh, good afternoon. Congratulations on the draft, man. Thank you, Herbie. Thank you. Hey, um, specific to your two defensive backs that you grabbed uh, on day three, what is it you liked about them? And are you happy with what you came out of there? And obviously trading back into the seventh round, what was it about keys that, that you liked that you had to go back into the seventh round to get them? Well, we like guys, um, yeah, certainly in our scheme, guys that have um, some size and length that can run, bigger, uh, longer uh, press-type corners. We, we like both player size and the physicality. Uh, you know, Snead was a guy that when, when Saturday started, that was our guy. I, I mean, he if we had the first pick in round four, it would have been Snead. So we were certainly uh, holding our breath there, and our guys did a good job of, of um, helping me uh, be patient and, and work through this because – uh, being patient and, and, and letting the board play itself out and getting Snyder at the bottom of four certainly enabled us to use the other equity to go up, and, go up and get Keys. Keys was an interesting guy, too. There were two bigger corners that we liked as press guys on the outside, and when we got to that fifth round, um, we were kind of going back and forth between Keys and Dana. And once we got off the clock and selected Dana, our guys did a great job of reorganizing the board and I had mentioned earlier that, you know, the value of not having a six and seven would be to really assess the board. Um, and once the draft ends to, to attack it. And once, once the board started to unfold after we were off the clock for the day, I think you start to look at the corner stack and, and understand that um, with so many picks left in the draft, the odds of this guy uh, getting selected here is very high. Um, so let's just see what we can do and, and get back up there while those guys continue to monitor who was being drafted and where we we're going to allocate our resources. So those guys worked on that. And then I was able to, you know, uh, call through and get some teams and, um, got a hold of John Robinson at Tennessee. And, and we went back up and got the guy that we almost took in five. So we were excited about that. Uh, let's go to Seren. Go ahead, Seren. Uh, Brett, uh, can you talk a little bit more about making that move? Is that a combination of, you know, your advanced work you do on the 21 draft and you look at it and say, okay, it's, it's not a corner class next year. Or it's just a, it's a, a weak class. How accurate can you be when you try to gauge what you, what you were given up ultimately by trading a future draft pick? You buzzed out a little there. I think your question was how much did it involve – you buzzed that a little, Seren? Yeah, yeah, I'll repeat it. So how accurate can you be looking ahead to the 21 draft? Like, when you obviously, you're, you're kind of taking a loan out against the 21 draft. And can you look at it and say, hey, we don't like the corners uh, with any accuracy, that the 21 corners aren't good, the 21 draft class isn't good, and is that part of what guides you down the what you ended up doing? Yeah, I don't know if you can sit there and, and – um you know, the whole depth of the corner class mixture. Certainly you'll, you'll know some guys early on, but, I mean, to your – Point. I mean, that's that, that is a good point that, you know, you can't sit there and, and um, accurately um, detail what corners would have been there in five or six next year. What I can say is that, you know, we felt like this kid was a, a fifth or, or sixth round pick. Um, we're potentially looking at compensatory picks in four and five. And then, you know, we're all hoping that that pick is 632. So if that pick is 632, when you add in the compensatory picks in rounds three, four and five, you're looking at a seventh round value. If that's a seventh round value and you're swapping a seventh round value, uh, this year for a guy that we felt um, was really on our board right there at that Dana selection. Um, we kind of looked at it like that, compensatory picks. Um, hopefully our pick is late 
um, in the sixth round, right? 632. If you add in the compensatory picks in rounds three, four, and five, well, now you're looking at your, you're really into the seventh round when you talk about total volume of numbers. And for where this kid was ranked this year, um, to your point, we don't know the, uh, exactly what would be there next year, but we also don't know if it'll be someone that we had graded so high. So we felt the risk was worth the reward. And um, we, we were very confident that um, Keys would have been drafted. In fact, his agent uh, texted me uh, with a text message from another team. I, I won't say the team, but he was going to go, I think, four or five picks later. So um, we like him. I mean, none of this is a guarantee. And, and you know, the more great players you have, the more likely you are to um, have success with these guys. But we certainly liked them. And we felt that made sense um, when you factor in potential compensatory picks next year, and hopefully, again, uh, the six-round pick being later in the process there. Okay, let's go to Nate Taylor. Go ahead, Nate. Hey, Brett. Thanks for doing this. Um, hope you got a little bit of sleep, like all of us. I, I wanted to go back and, and discuss some of the offensive linemen uh, that are joining the team. Uh, obviously, there's Yang uh, with third-round pick. Just what did you like about him? I mean, he's, everything I read, he appears to be intelligent. Pretty, a pretty intelligent player. Uh, just what did you learn about him from a personality standpoint throughout this process? And then two guys from a UDFA standpoint, uh, Durant and Daryl Williams, uh, you've given them some of that priority uh, tag in terms of, you know, free agents guys. Uh, with those three players and the understanding of wanting to protect Pat in the future, just what did you like about, obviously, Durant and Williams? And what did you really enjoy learning about Ni Yang uh, in the draft process? Well, we we were hoping we can get someone that was fluid in French so that we can pair him with Larry up there up front up front. So that I think that was uh, that was important for us. He he needed a wingmate there. Uh, so the fact that he, he's fluent in French is a big deal. But he listen, he's a smart kid and he picks up the game um, extremely fast. Potentially not having rookie mini camps or OTAs and then jumping into this thing is going to be um, a, a challenge for young guys. Uh, really on both sides of the football. So uh, I, I think the fact that this kid come in here, he has a high football IQ and he's extremely versatile is is going to be something that um, uh, will help us uh, get him up to speed quickly. Uh, the, the kid's a very interesting player. I mean, he, he, he's he got some really good tape. I think it, you guys all on this channel, I know you guys do a bunch of tape work, but I think there was an 18 game when they played Ohio State. I think you can, guys can see him go against uh, Chase Young and Bosa. And I think Chase Young kind of mentioned out there that, you know, he didn't have a great day versus, versus Lucas. So he, there, there's talent there, and we also feel like there's uh, a lot of versatility in regards to his ability to play guard. feel the same way about uh, Durant from Missouri, certainly a local guy we have to watch uh, a lot, uh, played a bunch of tackle. Uh, but we do think that uh, sliding into guard might be his best position there. So anytime you can get a couple of 6'6 six, six guys uh, inside there protecting Pat uh, will be beneficial. And then with Daryl, he's a guy extremely um, – um, player at Mississippi State. Uh, that's a guy we feel like has center and guard flexibility. He's done both there at, at Mississippi State. And um, as I mentioned to Willie on our, on our conference call the other day, we've had um, we've had a lot of success with Mississippi State players. It, it, you know, these schools, it's funny when you, when you just go back and take a step back and look at some schools that um, seem to or tend to produce a lot of players, man. Mississippi State seems like every year when they go to the NFL, I don't have numbers in front of me. I don't have statistics. Just my overall impression of when I think of players that end up getting drafted from Mississippi State, these guys always tend to work out. So we're hopefully, hopefully Daryl's uh, falls in that line and, and is able to, um, you know, crack our roster and, and, and help us uh, compete in the next season. Okay, let's go to Matt and Derek. Hey, Brad, hope you recover from the weekend, okay? Um, yeah. 
you know, a couple of the guys you, t- you took, especially, you know, Willie Gay was a guy that, you know, you talked about that, you know, he could have gone higher up in the draft. Maybe there hadn't been the, maybe some of the red flags. And Willie talked yesterday about keys maybe going higher if, you know, he had tested at the combine. Uh, how much of when you look at players like that, that, you know, you look at it as from a value standpoint, that if you've got a, you know, fifth round pick that, you're getting a guy that maybe you think has second or third round value rather despite the fact there might be questions rather than maybe going for somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't have as much upside, but maybe more guarantee. Well, I mean, listen, I, I think we're always looking, it's a projection business that we're in. You know, we're always looking at guys that to your point, there are guys that you feel maybe have maximized their athletic abilities. And, um, but at the same time, you, you know, you're not going to, um, sacrifice uh, the ability to come in and, and uh, have a long career. I mean, th- there are some guys that um, we always consider make it guys just because of the way they're wired. Um, I mean, so you're always going to look at um, the athletic ceiling of a player because these are young guys and you always say to yourself, where do you see this guy? Certainly in two, three, four years, um, has he maxed out athletically? Is there more to get out of him? So there's that balance of, you know, wanting to, take this player to the next level in regards to where he can be as, as a player on the field. Uh, there's also some guys that uh, they've never shown the degree to, you know, improve their game. So they've always been talented, but their career was, has always kind of just been even keel. So you can certainly look for the guys that have a, an athletic ceiling that have shown signs that they can um, progress and get to where you think they need to be to be successful at this level. All right, let's go to Harold Koontz. Go ahead, Harold. There we go. Try that here. Go ahead. Got it. Yeah, all right. I thought you were in control, but hey, Brett, uh, thanks for uh, doing this. I just want to know about the confidence level with your conversation with these guys without rookie mini camps and potentially OTAs, what your confidence level these guys can get on the field uh, quickly and kind of uh, be able to contribute uh, immediately with the ones that you kind of specifically point out players that you knew they could be put in a position where they could study in OTAs and everything uh, virtually and then get on the field and be able to contribute immediately. Well, I, listen, we're very fortunate to have, um, you, you know, this is where, I mean, it's always an advantage to have a great coaching staff. But, I mean, when you have a coaching staff that has been together for so long, this is where I think this will really help. Uh, our coaching staff has been together, in particular the offensive side, for such a long time now where, um, you know, the ability to communicate um, on different levels from guys who have been here and guys that are just getting here um, will be important. But, I mean, we'll put – uh, a lot of that burden on our coaching staff and thankfully we have a great one but uh, as you mentioned it's going to come back to these kids and, and understanding um, the environment that we live in and, and putting them back on them to, to make sure that wherever they need to be um, before they get here when camp starts uh, you know they, they have to uh, make sure that they're prepared because uh, they potentially won't have a rookie mini camp or an OTA so um, it, it I guess we won't know, uh, you know, until we get there. As far as my confident level, um, I'd like to think that I'm confident because we've done a lot of work on these guys, and we know that these guys love love the game and love to prepare. Um, you know, we've never gone through something like this, so I don't know if I can put a percentage on it. Uh, other than we'll just um, we'll we'll trust the the process that we utilize to acquire these players, and we'll certainly trust the process of our coaching staff. Okay, let's go to Vahe. Vahe, can you hear us? I can. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Hey, Brett. Um, hey, I, this is sort of a, a bigger picture question, but I, I, I wonder if you could just uh, speak to the idea of how different your job does or doesn't feel this this time of year, this year, 
than it did last year when now you're the defending Super Bowl champions. And I just wonder it, it, what that's done for uh, how you look at things in any way and, and maybe also how you might assess what that's done for your general hunger, how much it makes you hungry for more, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's one of those things where I, I think when you – are envisioning winning a Super Bowl, I, I think in the back of your mind, you're like, well, once we get one, we can maybe um, alter our approach and take a step back. And But, I, you know, to your other point, though, once you get there and you know how tough it is, I think you realize that if you, if you really want to stay on top, you, you have to be – it's that, that fine line between being aggressive because that's what got you here. Some of the moves we made and some of the things we were able – to go out and do, I mean, they were obviously considered aggressive, but we know that that's what got us the first Super Bowl in 50 years. And if we weren't aggressive, we wouldn't have been here potentially. But there's that also that balance of not being, you know, being smart and, and not uh, and understanding that you need future assets to maintain depth. It is a, a battle of attrition. We lost all those defensive linemen last year. Our quarterback got hurt. Our wideouts got hurt. So if you don't have um, a bunch of draft picks and if you don't have cap flexibility, you're going to be in trouble because you're just not going to have the numbers. So it's that fine line. It's, it's, it's staying aggressive, but then being decisive and, and being selective when you want to be aggressive, but also having, you know, um, you know, having that flexibility to it, when you want to pull the trigger to pull the trigger. Um, but it, it's the selective aggressiveness. I think that you realize it is what works best. I think moving forward. That'll do it for today. Thanks for lending us your ears. And thanks to the production crew of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Cap tip to Herbie Teope. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes. We'll be back on Tuesday for another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day. <laughs>